0: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. We are your guest hosts, Teddy Wilson and Deb Hutton, with you until six o'clock. And right now we are joined by two of our smartest speakers: John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, and the Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor. Welcome to the rush, gentlemen next here.
1: I, I had warned you that um, I, you know, Teddy and I could just talk about trains for half an hour.
2: Oh, we could geek out, couldn't we, John?
1: <laughs> my goodness,
2: trains, trains! Just give me a steam locomotive, please. <laughs> oh, so romantic. I love
0: them. Yeah, you, I'm you sensing didn't... there's something like a little dirty in that conversation that went over my well, head. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> in, in
3: Britain, uh, being a train spotter is a euphemism, really,
0: and
1: um,
3: we won't talk about it on the show. But uh, I am surprised at this revelation. I really am.
0: PG, guys, my kids are listening.
1: Okay, well, I mean, just (laughs) worth noting, for those who don't know, Teddy has hosted a show called Mighty Trains, and I have been jealous for years because I'm a huge...
0: I think we just lost a lot of stuff.
3: You see that that that's what happens when you when you're too obsessed with trains, it all goes terribly wrong. I would say that got derailed.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, train, oh
3: little no.
2: train humor,
0: man. Well, we will get John back, I assume. But you know, I didn't push the drop button. I'm just going to say
2: <laughs> you could have though if we had kept geeking out about trains.
0: Exactly. So uh, we got word today that the Ontario government is going to do a very healthy investment into post-secondary funding. They uh, are doing an infusion into the universities directly. And as John and I discussed this morning when I joined them at 920, they are freezing tuitions for three more years. You may recall back in 2019, the Ford government, when it came into office, reduced tuitions by 10% and have frozen it ever since. By the time we get through this, it will have been an 8 year freeze on tuitions. I'm gonna just tell you my bias up front. I support this government, but I do not think an eight year tuition freeze is the best thing for our university sector. Over to you, John Moore
1: well I was looking back at my records today after you and I talked and I see that the average amount that people are paying in annual t- um, tuition is about eight thousand dollars I think I spent about you know a thousand five hundred dollars so I never went into debt I worked in the summer I made more than that I paid off my tuition but I heard from somebody following you and me talking this morning and they said that they have a son who's just gotten out of law school who's five hundred thousand dollars in the hole I remember one of my producers she and her husband husband, in their 40s, were still paying down their tuition. So I, I actually think it's a reasonable dev- you know, investment that um, government helping you out with your tuition is great because eventually you're going to pay taxes. So I'm, and, but I, the other concern, Deb, and you and I mentioned this this morning, my real worry is that the model is broken you know we're cutting down on international students who pay an enormous sum in order to study and that helps the university but i also think a lot of our universities are on the ropes right now and that they simply are not going to be able to make bank
2: yeah. What's your perspective on this, Michael? Because I, I find it interesting that, that John brought up that figure of, you know, roughly eight grand per year for tuition. Not exactly an amount you can make in a, at a summer job, you know, over those three or four months of the summer, especially if you're paying rent. But, but
3: where do you fall on this? Actually, I mean, believe it or not, even though I'm incredibly old, I was back at university what, eight years ago? I graduated yeah. five six years ago when I did my, my MDF. No, I got a lot of help, I must admit, uh, in paying for that. And I was a grown man. I had an income. Uh, I don't, I would question the $500,000 uh, debt for training to be a lawyer, by the way. I mean, first of all, it's more than just a law degree. It's going on to, to train. And, and But we can talk about that another time. Look, it's an investment. The more people we can send to university the better not just in terms of the economy but in terms of, of the, the social life and, and the cultural life and, and and the moral life of this country when i first went to university in the uk going back to 1977 and it, and it was not dissimilar here relatively few people went to university some thought this was a good thing i find that rather elitist and i don't think elitism by its nature is bad i just don't think it actually contributes to a to a better country and kids, can earn that money generally, but the question is do we want them to? Because if they do have to earn the money, that means they can't study. Now, there is this illusion that young people go to university and just party the whole time. That is not my experience. That, I mean, we have four children. What I've seen is very hardworking kids really trying to do well and get a good degree. So, yeah, freeze it as long as possible. There are other areas we can cut very happily. We mentioned training to be a lawyer. It wouldn't worry me too much if we didn't produce too many more lawyers for a while. But yes, I would I would freeze tuition as long as possible. I think it's one of the, the best investments we can make.
0: So, Teddy, you'll figure out doing this with me that I have a hard time just leaving well enough alone because I so <laughs> want to go after Michael Korn on this. But I am going to move on in the interest of time and because I now have a, a guest co-host who's watching the clock with me. So last Friday, John, you and I uh, in, on the morning brief talked about the fact that the premier had appointed a Couple former staffers to something known, which most Canadians, most Ontarians, don't know about the Judicial Advisory uh, Judicial Appointments Advisory Committee, and it's 13 people who make recommendations about the types of individuals, the actual individuals who should sit on our provincial courts as judges. The Attorney General ultimately makes those appointments. Um, you and I talked about the fact that this is the system we have, and so I think we think it's a good idea that if you're going to do do the appointments the way we do, that there's some balance that different governments who are in charge then make this decision. Uh, the premier has doubled down on this and said, I want people who are like-minded sitting in our courts as judges.
1: I've been accused of being a bit of a sellout on this file, but I mean, you and I differ on this, Deb. You actually think it's better... In this new way, in appointing some people who are sympathetic to Doug Ford, because then you're going to get some conservative judges. I just don't buy that there are liberal or conservative judges. And if there are judges who make strange rulings, they get corrected on appeal. This is not the United States. This is not a place where we have this stupid, fictitious theory of law where the uh, founding fathers were like the apostles and they came up with an in- inspired judicial system. So, I mean, because the whole idea of originalism as it's known in the States, was invented about 30, 40 years ago. In Canada, they just appoint people. And I've always known, I mean, let's face it, back in the day, the the junk pile of political appointments was the board of directors at Air Canada, and it still is the port's authority. But frankly, you get to power, you appoint your friends, they appoint their friends, they get to be judges, but for the most part, you know, there is no such thing as political judges.
2: Yeah, Michael. What's your take on this do you, in, in terms of both the specifics of this this committee and what it entails, but also the the optics of this for the premier? Where do you fall on it?
3: Well, first of all, the actual. I mean, you said earlier this is a system we have. Yeah, and it's a bad system. I don't think political p- political staffers should be appointed to any position like this. It should be an honor. I know this sounds very naive and callow, but it should be an honor to serve in, a, in, in such a position. It doesn't mean you get a nice job at the end of it. Why appoint political staffers? Why not people who are experienced in, I don't know, the police services, uh, social work, the prison service, people who know what they're doing. I mean, John has appointed conservative and liberal judges. There are judges with politics, but there is an appeal system. I, without naming, I know someone who is a conservative person. He was appointed a judge. What has happened to him, he's become more liberal because he's seen the reality of what it really means to be arrested and then have a poor lawyer defending you and face face the system. But I I really would urge people to question the idea that because you serve as a member of of staff for a a politician, whatever their politics, you, you somehow deserve an appointment at the end of that. Why? Where does that logic come from?
0: Can I push you back, Michael, and say,
3: should you be excluded from an appointment? Yeah, I think to a a certain extent you should. I I really do. I think you should be qualified. It's the same with appointing senators. Why not appoint people who have direct experience, who maybe have served this nation not for financial reward, but because they believe
1: in something? Burn it down. I'm sorry. I come back to Christy Blatchford when it comes to the Senate. She actually used to say burn it down with the senators in it.
0: John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, Reverend Michael Korn, News Talk 1010 contributor. They are our smart speakers this afternoon. Coming up after the break, we're going to ask John Moore about why he, as a Montreal son, is wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. You're listening to The Rush with guest host Teddy shame. Wilson. There's the oh, Shane bell. Shane bell. <laughs> Teddy Wilson and Deb Hutton on News Talk 1010. Welcome back. You are listening to guest co-hosts this afternoon, Teddy Wilson and Deb Hutton, with you until 6 o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us. And also thanks to two of our smart speakers for being with us on this Monday afternoon, John Moore, host of Moore in the Morning, and the Reverend Michael Corn, News Talk 1010 contributor. So we got the long-awaited, often-talked-about national pharmacare details this weekend. Uh, March 1st had been the new but we really mean it, deadline by Jagmeet Singh for the liberals to introduce legislation uh, around a national pharmacare program. We still have lots and lots and lots of details we're not familiar with yet, but we do know apparently that this legislation will uh, cover contraceptives and drugs for type 1 and 2 diabetes. There will also be some money for insulin pumps for provinces, uh, so obviously a focus on on uh, on diabetes and its uh, treatment and presumably some prevention uh, legislation likely to be introduced this week. That's what we know. Uh, the other tidbit I'll add in this is that uh, Christia Freeland, when asked about this, said that it will not change the federal finances. We know that they had set aside about $800 million, uh, which is a far cry from an actual national pharmacare program, which had a price tag according to the Parliamentary Budget Officer of 40 billion with a B annually. Uh, John Moore, your thoughts on this. Um, let's take it from an actual tangible perspective for people and what it means to them. Is this enough? Is it too much? Is it the right amount? Well, I like
1: something that Jugmeet Singh said on the show this morning. Uh, when he observed that, it, you know, why do we cover the cost of going to see the doctor, but then he prescribes something or she prescribes something, and you can't afford it. It's worth noting, and this is one of my forever preoccupations, uh, one of my big causes back before I moved to Toronto, because there was a huge diabetes foundation in Montreal, uh, was diabetes, and in particular juvenile diabetes. It's worth noting, 10% of men, are diabetic, 8.7% of women are diabetic, and they have been assuming the cost of the thing that actually keeps them alive. So I'm enthusiastic about this, but at the same time, and I'm curious what Michael has to say, I also look at this and I think, okay, we're creating a new insurance program, but we're not actually coming up with, um, you know, the the means of paying for it. And so I, I think it was, again, uh, Jagmeet Singh this morning who said, well, this is a blip in uh, the budget. Yes, but increasingly, we're having a lot of blips in the budget, and we're not coming up with a means by which we can pay for something.
2: And you know, Michael, uh, John and Deb just touched on that, the $800 million price tag, you know, a lot less than the $40 billion that had been talked about at some point. But where, where do you stand on this? Uh, whether or not you agree with it, is the timing okay, given some of the financial challenges that the Feds are facing at the moment? Do you have concerns about the price tag?
3: No, and I don't believe it'll be that amount. I think it'll be much higher. Sure. And um. I'm sure everybody would, would agree with that. But I don't see that as being a problem. I mean, the, the timing is relevant in that an election is always just around the corner. And uh, I think a lot of work was done behind the scenes to make sure this went through. I was at a dinner party the other night when it was announced and there was a, um, a, a fairly high profile liberal person who sort of punched the air. Yes, we've done it. Um Any party should be committed to this. We need to expand our socialized public medical system. Uh, We need to go further. If people are not helped financially with medication, they will be sick and they will go to hospital and it will cost even more apart from their health and and their family and their grieving. It will cost a lot more to to keep them alive, to keep them healthy in the long run. So we do need to put more money in. I think the contraception issue, I, I support that. Uh, But I think that might be slightly more controversial. But of course we have to expand. But it has to go much further than this. It has to involve a large amount of money. And uh, to be candid, where does that money come from? It's going to come from taxation. And if we want a system where you can go into hospital and be taken care of properly by people who really care about you and not get get into colossal debt, I'm afraid we have to at some point pay for it. Uh, But I would introduce a taxation system that was more equitable, where people who were very wealthy paid more, and it didn't interfere with the middle class very much. But I'm not going to hold my
1: breath about that. All right,
0: yeah, Teddy, I, here I, think I go think it was again. observed,
1: Deb and Teddy, <laughs> it was observed this morning on our show again, <laughs> um, that this is very Scandinavian, and that's fine and good, except in Scandinavia, I think they pay 65% income taxes.
0: Yeah, and guys, I, I don't understand the difference. Listen, I, I don't like any of this, so there, there's my preface of my question here. But... I don't understand the difference between the arguments Jagmeet Singh makes on the dental program, which is means tested, and the arguments he makes on the drug program, which is not means tested. So help me out with that, either of you.
3: Well, I mean, there is a form of means testing. I and mean, I, I just believe it or not, i just turned 65. And the benefits you think you're going to get in terms of medication, there is effectively a, a form of means test. Can I just address the Scandinavian issue? Because you have to remember, and it's not all of Scandinavia. But in large parts of of northern Europe, taxation is high, but it's more than just health care. It's it's daycare until kids are... Probably 30 years old. I mean, it's expensive. It's a very (laughs) social democratic system. So they're paying high taxation. They're also I mean, their paternity and maternity leave is extraordinary in their vacation time. So it's not just healthcare we're talking about here. The juxtaposition, the comparison should be surely with our neighbors south of the border. And God forbid we come anywhere close to that.
0: Man, you always have to end on a note that just makes me want to bite, <laughs> I'm don't sorry. you, Michael yeah. <laughs> Uh So let's go to another one that could be controversial. More than 70% of people in jails are awaiting bail or trial. These are not people who have been convicted. These are people, as I said, awaiting bail or trial. John Moore, anything wrong with that? Yeah, although
1: we're always going to have these outlier situations like the 14-year-old girl who uh, is accused in the swarming stabbing of a man that, you know, he was fatal, It was fatal, civil so homicide, and then she was arrested last week again, and we have to be careful to lawyer ourselves, um, allegedly for stabbing somebody else. So you look at a situation like that and you think, why is this person on the loose? But when you consider how miserable these uh, remand facilities are, and that people people may be acquitted eventually and spend two years behind bars then I think we have to ask some questions.
2: Yeah and I mean I, I don't know about the, the three of you but I did find that 70% number shocking. I've read about people in jail awaiting bail or trial before but the fact that it's 70% was a, a pretty shocking number to me. Was it to you as well Michael?
3: I think it's a misleading number. I, I do some work in, in the prison system and uh, there are people there who are terrified who shouldn't be there and they're usually not there for very long and the whole situation is unfair. But as John said, some of the people who are waiting trial, God forbid they were out in the public. Mm. Prison is a very strange place because in my experience, for what it's worth, and I'm hardly that qualified, but it seems to me that maybe a a third of the people who are there shouldn't be there, but the other two thirds, good Lord, I'm frightened for when they get out. So Mm -hmm. we, we want to be realistic about this. Yes, it's problematic. But I do think it's a misleading figure that that both the left and the right can jump on, but not really come to a truth. Right.
0: So we're going to lighten it up in the last 60 seconds that we have. Uh, Globe and Mail has a fun statistic, a fun survey out where you can vote on the people that you would like to see for a 2024 version of We Are the World. John Moore, who would you add to your 2024 list? Today's topic, today's grouping is sort of the legends, the, the people who were around when the original song was made.
1: Well, if I could nominate him, if he were still alive, Marcel Marceau. I hate the song. I hated all of those performative videos where super rich people patted each other on the back for going to the studio and trying to check their egos at the door, as the sign said. I would say nobody. Nobody. Wow.
2: What, What about you, Michael? For me, it's Stevie Nicks. Do you have a pick? Why, you, you just
3: dated yourself, Stephen I Met mean, that's my ear, Steve. Next. Yeah. She's a legend. <laughs> uh, I would have people who weren't very well known. I mean, uh, uh. what about uh, people who, I mean, I mentioned earlier uh, those who deserve merit and reward and don't get it. But what about people who really are trying to change the world and make it a better place? What about people who spend their time working with the poor and the underprivileged and give them a few singing lessons and put them out there and, and play around in the studio? I much prefer that than you know, someone who is incredibly famous and incredibly wealthy. Well said. And
2: with We Are the World playing behind you as you gave that speech, I love it.
0: <laughs> All right, gentlemen, that's it for us on our Smart Speakers panel this afternoon. John Moore, host of More in the Morning. You'll hear him right back here at 6 tomorrow morning. And Reverend Michael Koren, News Talk 1010 contributor and fans of this song. Coming up after the break, we'll discuss who Teddy Wilson is.